And to you, the congregation, for inviting me. What a joy to be back here at Redeemer Reformed with the people of God. What a joy to be with you all and to fellowship with you and to be able to open God's word to you. Thank you, Ned, for those opening remarks. But, you know, I, I want to say it, it was the Lord who did all of those things. And he is, I, I'm just a broken clay vessel. I think uh, Paul refers to us, and indeed that's what we are broken clay vessels that the Lord uh, decides to use. I, I did think about the clock back there, by the way. Um, it's still there. Does, does it work? So, so when, when dear Elder Page said uh, that he was going to build that clock for this sanctuary, I told him I never paid attention to time. And I don't remember whether it was battery operated at the time or not, but it never worked. <laughs> and um, I now wear my father's watch, which is the old wind-up watch. And Sunday morning, I looked and I thought, it's 20 minutes to 12. It must be far later than that. And, uh, well, it had stopped. And so uh, it, it not only works for clocks in the back, but it, it works on my wrist. It just, they stop. I don't know why it is. The, uh, the sign that I look at every Sunday morning says, Sir, we would see Jesus. And I think that's indeed what we would see as we come to God's most holy, inspired, and inerrant word. That we would see the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's come to 1 Peter chapter 1. I've decided actually to read the entirety of this great chapter. Uh, we'll reference uh, earlier parts. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 21 tonight. Uh, but I want to read the entirety of 1 Peter chapter 1. This, this marvelous letter to a persecuted church. A church that was under a great pressure from a culture and world around it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia... Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, 
the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, how we thank you for the good news that was preached to us. How we thank you for the prophets of old who spoke of the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, ministering to us. How we thank you for the angels who are spectators, longing to look into this great salvation that is ours by your grace. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that you would, this night, by your Spirit, work through your word, comfort our hearts, and strengthen us, preparing us for the day of our Lord's appearing. For we ask it in his precious name. Amen. I don't have to tell you that these have been tough times. And I'm not just speaking about the pandemic. A few Weeks ago, I received several emails about Christians in Afghanistan who were running for their lives, wondering if they would be able to survive. Sunday, I received news, as I'm sure many of you did as well, 17 missionaries in Haiti were kidnapped, 16 of them from Ohio, one from Canada, and several among them children. 
These are tough times in which we live. Tough not simply because of the diseases that are going on around the world, but tough because Christians are under fire in our present day. We don't see it as much in this country, although it is more subtle, it is certainly increasing in its intensity. I was thinking back to the television shows and how, how the moral standards have changed in our country. There was the I Love Lucy show and the Waltons that had some sense of morality. But you turn on the television shows today and they're promoting every form of wickedness and evil. And they know what they're doing. We live in a culture that promotes evil and considers the Christian faith and its values a threat to their own ideology that they are promoting. And so I'm quite sure that just as Peter was addressing Christians in the early church who, had, who were exiled, who were experiencing great persecution, I'm quite sure that in our time we are going to confront great threats to the church as well. These are difficult days in which we live. And Peter brings the greatest encouragement to a church, to believers, in the midst of difficult days. He begins his letter to those who are exiles. There's been, there's been great discussion among commentators about whether who these exiles are. Are they Jewish Christians? Are they Gentile Christians? Are they both? And I'm not going to answer that question for you tonight. Because I'm not sure. Uh, they, they do a great job, each presenting their case, but quite frankly, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. These are Christians who are suffering for the sake of the gospel. They have been exiled. They, they are going through difficult times. And it's in these difficult times that Peter reminds them of their blessed hope in Jesus Christ, that hope into which they were saved by which they were saved. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. He's, he's begotten us to a living hope. He has, he has caused us to be born again. It's God's work. And we see in these opening verses that it is his work from, from beginning to end. It is God by his spirit who works upon the heart, who grants to us faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, it is God who continues to work, and he has given to us an inheritance, we're told in these opening verses, that is unfading, undefiled, and imperishable, kept in heaven for you, and he's speaking to believers who are being guarded through faith. That is this inheritance is sure. Now I know that I'm in a few people's wills, but I can tell you that none of those inheritances are sure because they could use up all their money before they die, right? 
And if I got it, I could use it all up too, right? But this inheritance that Peter speaks about can't be defiled or corrupted. It can't be given away. It is kept for the believer by God who is preserving his saints for that inheritance. And so the apostle could say that it's for this that we can rejoice in the midst of our trials. And no, no matter what's going on, we've got to keep perspective, right? And the perspective is that we can rejoice because our hope is not in this world. It is in the world that is to come. We have a heavenly kingdom to which we are looking and pressing and moving. And that's what Peter is pointing our attention to. And he's indeed saying that all of this is possible because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrection. His death and his resurrection. The prophets looked forward to it. The angels peered into it. And God has brought this great work about in the life of believers. And so it's to believers that he's speaking this rich word of comfort in verse 13 when he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That catechism that we're going to be looking at this weekend, the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number one, is a most marvelous summary of what the scripture teaches and what we're going to see here in 1 Peter and we're going to see it in 1 John and we're going to see it in the Gospel of John and we're going to see it in the book of Ephesians. It is, it is the most marvelous summary of our greatest comfort in life and what the word of God does in comforting us. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. What great comfort that is when hairs are falling from your head. That God's sovereign over that. Right? Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation, and therefore by his Holy Spirit he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. What a great comfort. That in life and in death, as a believer in Christ, you belong to Jesus Christ. You have, you have been born again to a living hope, a lively hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter tells you that you are to prepare your minds for action as those who rejoice in the face of trials, rejoicing in the God of your salvation, that you are to prepare your minds for action. In the midst of this uncertain, chaotic world in which we live, 
What does he call us to do to prepare our minds for action? It's a phrase, really, and we'll see that he takes several phrases from the book of Exodus, chapter 12, from the, from the great Exodus, from the Passover. The idea of preparing your minds for action is literally to gird up the loins of your mind. We don't use that kind of language any longer, girding up the loins. I think that's the way it may be in the King James Version. But the idea in the Exodus event as the Passover meal was being prepared, as they were preparing to, to leave their dwelling places and to see God's great redemption for them, as they were to take their, their belts and they were to take their robes and to put them up into their belts so that they would be ready to leave in a hurry. So that there would be nothing that stopped them. So that they would be able to go. Just recently, as many of you know, our son got married and felt badly for, for Katie. At one point, I think, maybe at the reception, Philip stepped on her gown. Right? Had to have it all pinned up, right? Well, after the, after the wedding, you got to pin up the gown, right? Because if you don't pin it up, you're going to have all kinds of obstacles in walking, aren't you? And others around you. Well, they were to take their robes and they were to, they were to take their belts and put their robes, the length of their robes up so that they were ready to leave. The great redemption that the Lord had promised to bring to his people. And that's the idea behind this word, preparing your minds for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be ready. Stay dressed for action, we read in Luke chapter 12. And keep your lamps burning. Be, be ready. What are we getting ready for? ready for the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're living in a world in which the gospel comes under great attack. And Christians are being persecuted around the world as they were in Peter's day. And, and what is Peter telling them and telling us? He's saying, prepare your minds for action. What is the action? Christ, our Redeemer, is going to be revealed from heaven. We are preparing our minds for action. And he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, verse 13. So you've been, if, you're, if you belong to Christ, you've been born again to a lively hope, and you are to set your mind upon this hope. And the hope that you're to set your mind on he says here, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are to be forward-looking Christians. We are to be setting our hopes not in this world, but on the world that is to come and our Savior who is going to be revealed from heaven. That is where our hope is to be set. And so he, he tells us to set our hearts to direct our hearts in present circumstances on the 
future grace that is to be revealed when Christ returns. What a marvelous command to believers. Set your grace on that, set your hope on that grace that's going to be revealed. Anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We might say, fix your focus and don't lose sight of the grace by which you have been saved and the continuing grace that you are receiving and the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ appears. Fix your focus on the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Set your hope on that. Don't set it on the world. You will be sadly disappointed. If you're, if you're looking to, to the world to give you comfort, what a terrible disappointment you will have. In the midst of this time, if we look to, to doctors to save us from a pandemic, we're fooled. If we look to politicians to save us from an economic collapse, we're fooled. If we look for anyone to save us, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be ashamed but not of the Lord Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed when Christ is revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And one day, our faith will be sight. One day, our great hope will be reality. And that, my friends, is the Christian's comfort in this life and in death that you belong to Jesus Christ and to him alone. And so when the world seems to be breaking in pieces, the Christian's job is to have their eyes, the eyes of their heart firmly focused upon the future grace that is to be revealed and be ready and be watchful and be prepared for his coming. You have known that grace, dear friends. And there is a continuous supply of that grace, grace upon grace. And that grace will become even more evident the closer it comes to the Lord's appearing. Set your hope fully on that grace. The second thing that we find here is that such a comfort is founded upon this great hope, not upon our obedience. Our obedience, as he tells us to be obedient, and we're going to look at that. He's, he's telling us to be holy, but this, this holiness is not the foundation of our hope, but rather it is this salvation that we have in Christ, the hope that we have in Christ that is the foundation upon which our lives are built. Now, that's an important point to make. And the reason I say it's an important point to make is if, if our hope is in our 
morality, our, our goodness, how good we are, then we are going to have a, a house that's built on a faulty foundation. Because ultimately it's going to fail. But if our hope is upon the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, it will issue forth in a life of obedience to Christ. A delight in Christ, a desire to obey Christ. I was thinking today as I was looking over the notes driving up of the story that Jesus tells about the tax collector and the sinner. And the tax collector is, in, in Luke chapter 18, is, is thanking God that he's not like this sinner over here. And that he prays and he does all of these things. You remember that, I'm sure. The sinner looks to heaven and says, you know, I'm undone, you know. I, in fact, he actually looks to the ground and uh, with all humility recognizes that he has nothing to offer. Jesus asked the question, which one goes home justified? Well, we know the answer, don't we? It wasn't the tax collector who prided himself in his own morality, but it was the sinner who, in all humility, looked or was it the Pharisee and the tax collector? I'm sorry, I'm confusing it. But the reality is, the reality is our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And so he says to us, as those who are setting our hopes on the future grace, be obedient children. It's the very opposite of what Titus refers to as disobedient children. We are to be obedient children and we are called to be holy because God is holy. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, be also holy in all your conduct. God is holy. He is the standard of our conduct. And we look at that and we wonder, is it ever possible and on one level, we can say, no, of course it's not. We, we can strive all of our Christian walk in life to reach this standard of holiness and never, ever reach it. And so we look at it with perhaps great concern and fear. How, how is it this is such a high standard? It's far better, isn't it, than the standard that we would set. Because if I was the standard or the measure of your holiness, I might change my mind every day what that standard was. We have a fixed standard, don't we? And not only do we have a fixed standard of holiness... In a perfect God who is unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he, we have his spirit who is working within us, enabling us to die to sin and to live unto righteousness. And so, one day we will, when the Lord returns, we will be holy. And we will be righteous. And we will be without sin. 
But until that day appears, by the enablement of the Holy Spirit, we are called to be a holy people in all our conduct. And the standard of our holiness is the unchanging and unwavering God who is thrice holy. Holy, holy, holy art thou, Lord God Almighty, says the prophet Isaiah. Speaking of God's holiness and his character as Isaiah pictures God high and lifted up and the train of his robe filling the temple. And so Peter tells us, as those who set your hope, as those who prepare for this future glory, be obedient children. And then he says, he tells us to be reverent. And if, and if you call, verse 17, on him as father who judges impartially according to each, one de each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Conduct yourselves with fear, or as one translation rightly notices, reverence. You're approaching a judge. A judge who shows no partiality. He, he doesn't show partiality to those who are rich, nor to those who are poor. He doesn't show partiality to Jew or to Gentile. He doesn't show partiality to slave or to free, he shows no partiality at all. And so we're to look to God as we seek to conduct ourselves in holiness. We are to look to God who is the judge who impartially judges. And how are we to live in expectation but with holy and reverent fear of the God who has given to us his son, Jesus Christ. Don't conduct yourselves. Don't use the standard of conduct as someone else telling you what you ought to be doing. You're not called to reflect the world. You're called to reflect the word, to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ revealed in the word. So we have comfort. Comfort of a present hope in a future grace, which is the motivation for the response of obedience from the life of the believer and grounded in, thirdly, we see here, grounded and established upon God's eternal redemption. This future grace that is going to be revealed and this hope that is ours is established upon an eternal plan of God's redemption for his children. I always love those commercials that come on the television that tell you this company was established in 1921, 100 years of quality craftsmanship. You know those kind of companies that are always bragging about their, their age and saying you can trust them with great confidence. And how many times have those companies who've been around for 100 years or 150 years in whom you perhaps placed your great confidence failed you? 
But we can count on God who is eternally faithful to his promises. Because he never changes. There is no variation with God. There is no change. And so Peter directs our attention to the eternal redemption that is ours when he says, verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Knowing that you were ransomed, that you were redeemed, that there was a price that was paid, a price that is more precious than silver or gold, and he picks here the, most, the two most precious metals. But even these two most precious metals are corruptible. And he says, you weren't, you weren't ransomed with silver or gold. You were, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. You were redeemed from your futile ways with the blood of Christ like a lamb without spot or blemish. He takes us back to the Exodus event. He takes us back to the rich promise that God gave to his people in Exodus chapter 6 when God said to them, I will redeem you with outstretched arms and with great judgments. He had given them his great name, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, the covenant-making and keeping name of God. And I will redeem you with outstretched arms and with great judgments. And Peter takes us back to that time and takes us back to Exodus chapter 12 and to the great redemption of Israel from Egypt. But he shows us how that great redemption pointed forward to an even greater redemption. And that is that we were ransomed not with, a, not with a lamb that was blemishless, but with Christ, the precious lamb of God, foreknown from before the foundation of the world, purchased by Christ to a future glory. And I want you to notice how this passage keeps coming back to the idea of hope. Early on in chapter 1, you were born again to a living hope. In our text, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. And then at the end of our section tonight, so that your faith and hope are in God. Where is our comfort in this world and in the world to come? Where is the comfort on my dying day when I take my last breath? It is that I belong to Jesus Christ and that I'm not my own, but I've been bought with his precious blood. Oh, friends, I pray that that is your comfort tonight as well. For if you don't have that comfort, 
in this life, then you have no comfort at all. This world and everything in it is perishing. It will be done away with, we're told. The only thing that lasts is the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else is sinking sand. But trusting in Christ will not only issue forth in a life in which you will seek to be obedient and reverent, but in which you will not be afraid. You will not be afraid on that day when God calls you to glory. If you belong to Jesus Christ, friends, you have a lively hope. I have a lively hope. And what are we called to do? We're called to prepare our minds for action, to be sober in looking to Jesus Christ in his appearing. And as we look to Christ's appearing to conduct ourselves in holiness and reverence, knowing the great comfort that that which was planned in eternity past will be brought to pass when our Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, how we thank you for the comfort we have tonight, the comfort that is found in your word. For we know that although the mountains be removed into the heart of the sea, that you are our strong tower and fortress. Mighty fortress are you, our God. You have given to us an eternal redemption in your Son. Help us, O Lord, tonight to set our hope fully on the grace that will be revealed when Christ our Savior appears. So we pray to you be all glory and honor and praise through Jesus Christ our Lord.